Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. I'm here today with Rand Fishkin. Rand, welcome to the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me, James. Good to be here. It's great to have you on here. I think most marketers in Australia know of Rand, but if, if you're in the very small percentage that don't, uh, Rand is co-founder and CEO of SparkToro, which is uh, makers of very, very fine audience research software. In 2004, Rand created and launched SEO MozBlog, which morphed into Moz. Moz became the most popular community and content resource for search marketers around the world. In your time at Moz, as CEO of Moz, Rand, you, you grew it to 130 employees, $30 million of revenue, over 30 million visitors per year. You've been pretty much a key player in the industry for the last 20 years. I've been fortunate enough to have been at a few conferences around the world where you've kind of taken center stage and kind of informed marketers as to the big trends that um, we need to be aware of. So I have to say your content is always in my um, you know, top two or three thought leaders around the world. Um, when I started the pod, I, I said, Rand's the guy I want to get on here. So it's, uh, it's great to have you here. Thank you for your time. Oh, thrilled to be joining you, James. So I thought um, I'd start with a very general question, which is maybe a harder one to answer, but just macro landscape at the moment. It's obviously been such a big kind of 12 months in, in digital and changes, ChatGPT, generative AI, um, changes with Google. I mean, what, what are the big things that you kind of feel as marketers we need to be across? Well, to be honest, I say this to a lot of marketers, which is, What's happening in the world is generally less important than what's happening in your world. So if yeah. you're you know, an e-commerce uh, B2C marketer who's very reliant on advertising channels like TikTok and Instagram and, and sort of you know, direct consumer purchases, low purchase price, low consideration process, I'm not sure that there's a ton that's changed. I mean, I would say certainly... There's some attribution weirdness that's going to be going on with with GA4, whose default models are going to over over attribute certain advertising channels. Yeah, uh, which is which is frustrating. There's some big changes around privacy, third party cookies going away next year, and changes to how the ad platforms are going to operate. That will mean that you have less one-to-one matching of which consumer saw which ad and made which purchase. And instead you'll get these sort of federated lists of groups of people who, you know, this group of people experienced this, these ads, and then they had these behaviors, but we can't tell you which one had which one ad view. So that's going to be changing, but I'm not sure it modifies a ton of what your process should be. Yeah. So uh, look, I think that broadly speaking, these big changes around privacy and, and advertising, third-party cookies, what I've been calling the death of attribution, yeah. although maybe it never really existed in the accuracy form that we think it did. Yes, that stuff will have an impact on most every marketer, but not, not even every. If you're doing SEO and keyword research and content marketing, it's probably not going to change a whole lot for you, yeah. right? Maybe it changes a bunch for your VP of marketing or your client and how they choose to invest, but for you, less so. So it, the, I think this is one of the problems with being a marketer in the modern era is that you consume a lot of content that says, oh my God, the sky is falling, everything's changing. Yeah. And then you have to figure out, is my sky falling? Yeah. Is is are all these changes actually going to affect me? And if so, how? And what do I need to do? Or can I sort of consider it as background knowledge 
keep doing what I'm doing day to day, only change my strategy and my tactics in response to things that actually change my results. Yeah, I think that's a good perspective. And I think it's easy as a marketer, kind of scroll through your LinkedIn feed and you, you couldn't possibly try to keep up with all the things that may or may not matter, right? I think it's a good segue into the piece that you published recently around ChatGPT and kind of usage of. I think for us down under here, I guess we we're looking at it in two ways, right? Like the way that us as marketers use tools like ChatGPT and Bard to help us do our job, but then what impact of users turning to products like that to find answers that they once would have turned to Google search for. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the piece that you did recently and kind of the usage of ChatGPT and what it's being used for. And is it growing? Is it kind of cannibalizing Google? Yes, no. Oh gosh, James, that is a, you know what? What a missed opportunity. I'm going to make myself a note right now on my whiteboard. <laughs> so go ask the Dados folks if yeah. they can show me the last two years of number of searches performed on google.com yeah and we can compare that against the traffic to open ai and yeah. the number of prompts that people put in because i bet I, I would be willing to bet that google has seen virtually no impact at all yeah uh, someone did do a study of whether bing's traffic right bing of course yep. uses more of chat gpt open ai they have a partnership i think being uh, microsoft is partly funding open ai right etc and uh, the growth of Bing's market share was less than a tenth of a percent, and yeah. the shrinkage of Google's was less than a tenth of a percent, at least in the United States. Yeah, which suggests that almost no one, from a consumer standpoint, is going to generative AI to solve problems that they used to go to Google for. But that would be that's a fascinating question. Uh, yeah, we um, I was doing a webinar a few months back for an Australian audience and couldn't find anything based like very little data out there to suggest that that was the case. So one of the articles I linked to in the ChatGPT piece was from, a, I, I think it's a Substack writer who noted this uh, research around, you know, Bing versus Google. Yeah, ugly numbers from ChatGPT and Microsoft reveal that AI demand is already shrinking. So. Bing's market share hasn't grown at all. It, this is um, this is a ZDNet article. Yeah. I think ZDNet actually owns my old company, Moz now, <laughs> as if Davis does. And yeah, as of mid-August, Bing had not grown at all. Yeah. Oh, they're down 0.01%, from January to July. Because <laughs> it is, oh, an, it's an interesting okay. interplay, isn't it? And like, because I guess we're a little bit different down here. Bing has always had a larger cut through in the States than it does here. Like I think That's we're, right, yeah. we're generally like 96, 97% Google, which is the numbers are always seem a little bit elusive regardless, <laughs> regardless of, of, uh, of market. But then I guess the, I think one of the smart things that Google did early on was, uh, this is my memory is like, Oh, four, Oh five, Oh six. Google really prioritized getting better results in even smaller markets. Yeah. Right? You know, Australian market, New Zealand, South Korea, which is, is a relatively big market, right? Yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. It's not sort of top 10 countries. And Microsoft, you know, first with, what was it, uh, MSN search and then live search and yeah. then Bing, they really, they tried to like get everything right in the United States and Canada and then go from there. And yeah. seeing as they never caught up here, they just never, uh, never grew their market share anywhere else either. It's really, really interesting. And I guess the 
rollout or integration now of generative AI into the actual SERPs is kind of the big, yeah. the big play there, right? I mean, I think, it, I think it was one of their hopes. Well, here's the way I would think about it if I were Microsoft, which is I'd kind of be laughing all the way to the bank, right? Because sure, my search share didn't grow, but I now have a technology and a brand and this partnership with OpenAI and, and you know, have funded them kind of, I think they partially own OpenAI. I, I would be feeling excellent about the fact that that is turning into a probably tens of billions of dollars a year product. Yeah. And, you know, if you're Microsoft, I think, I think the time to worry about, hey, are we winning or losing in search was 15 years ago. I think right now, the question is, how are we doing on market cap? How are yeah. we doing on technology as a whole? I, I'd be thinking much more strategically about ChatGPT versus, oh no, I'm not winning. As a marketer though, we care a lot about whether people are using Google or Bing or whether they're going to ChatGPT and getting answers. And here's the way I would think about that. Generative AI will make its way into some search results in some ways. Yeah. Maybe it will make searchers incredibly happier and more satisfied with their results, in which case Google will probably adopt it whole hog and it'll replace a ton of uh, what we now call rich snippets or instant answers. Or maybe it will be a small piece, you know, sort of like how uh, Google News shows up in 0.85% of, you know, search results or uh, recipe cards show up in a lot of recipe type searches, wh yeah. whatever it is, right? So, yeah. you know, it'll be a niche inside of search that some marketers have to think about a bunch because their content applies to that and some don't. Again, I, I go back a little bit to the, does it affect you right now? Yeah. If not, the only thing I would really be thinking about is, can I get my brand name next to more mentions of the words and phrases I want to be associated with all around the web? Because that's the sort of equivalent of keyword research and link building yeah. for a generative AI solution, right? If you know, if you and I go to ChatGPT now and we say, "Hey, uh, what are the leading CRM tools?" It's going to give us, you know, Salesforce and and HubSpot, and that's because yeah. so much of the content it was trained on has those brand names next to all the words, right? Because ChatGPT is just a predictive text yeah. or predictive token system. So if I'm trying to compete with, you know, folks in the CRM tool space, I want my CRM to be mentioned anytime the word CRM tool is mentioned. Yeah. Get, how do I get in the New York Times? How do I get in Wikipedia? How do I make sure anybody who's talking about it on Reddit is talking about it? How do I make sure anybody who's talking about on Twitter or on LinkedIn or Facebook yeah. or you know uh, text that shows up in YouTube transcripts and comments? Uh, all of that stuff. Which, which I think from our view, like it feels like an extension of what good marketing has been over the last five to 10 years anyway, right? Which is <laughs> for those for those listening and not watching, Rand is uh, sipping sipping honey honey lemon uh, tea and pointing and, at me and, and making agreeing. crazy eyes. <laughs> he's making, the, he's the, making crazy. Yes, eyes. of course. <laughs> <laughs> but that's right, right? Like it's um yeah. Is it, it? I mean, Google's kind of scaled the web for the last twenty years, and AI is kind of scouring text and databases and content. And it's like, what are what are the pointers in the right direction for the kind of the leader in this space and and looking at. You know, I guess high quality references versus low quality references. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. I think the other question to ask is, do people go to ChatGPT and search for 
answers to questions that lead them directly to brands they would buy from. And we yeah. don't have that answer today, but I looked at thousands and thousands of ChatGPT prompts and I saw very little of that. Honestly, I, I don't think I saw out of all the ones I analyzed, maybe one or two, could I classify as, oh, that's the type of search I would expect someone to do at Google. And then the results yeah. that are returned by ChatGPT actually led someone to a brand that they might buy from that they wouldn't have considered previously. It's a task engine, right? Yeah. It's do this thing for me, not I am curious about where I should go to sort of um, buy a solution to yeah. a problem. Yeah, that's it. And that, so Rand's referencing an article that he published in late August on the Spark Toro blog. And what was it, Rand? Have the actual, it was a huge data set, right? Yeah, so we looked at, we looked at um, millions of visits or millions of devices that visited openai.com and, and ChatGPT specifically. And we also manually analyzed thousands, well, I say manually, <laughs> I, I manually analyzed <laughs> hundreds and then we had thousands and thousands of full prompt series so between one and five or six prompts that people had entered into a chat gpt session and we were able to see what those prompts were and the full text of them and then we used a classification system chat gpt itself actually <laughs> um, inside google sheets to classify about 4100 of these 7000 ish prompts we threw out a bunch of them that were you know, weird, short, one word, yeah. you know, Mistakes just poking and... around. Pe people would put weird things in like mustache, mustache. That was, that was you, Rand. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, those kinds of prompts are not particularly useful. But the ones that appeared to be real prompts, which was, you know, more than half of them, we analyzed those, we classified them into what was their purpose, what was the person trying to accomplish here, and then produce this big report that gives a breakdown of all of those. And you can see many of the common words and phrases that people use in their chat GPT prompts, like create and learn and list and build and a lot of stuff around programming, right? JavaScript, and Ruby, and yeah. et cetera. Which kind of lends itself to your point earlier around, we don't really know where Google and Bing take the integration of generative AI into the SERPs, but it's not entirely implausible that lots of it remains unchanged and that certain queries will lend themselves more to this kind of content. I've got the, the data in front of me and 30% of the queries you analyze were programming related, 23% um, mm -hmm. education related, 20% content related. I presume that's creation of content. So that's 50, yeah. so that's almost 75%, right? Then you got 13% yeah. sales and marketing, 6.7 personal and other. Um, three percent political and not for profit. So it's, they're, not, they're not. To me, that's not kind of screaming. What's the best enterprise uh, software to do X, or who's the best agency to do Y, or you know, where can I buy certain types of fashion? Or yeah. Sports? So those would those types of queries would fall under two subcategories in education. Uh, one is personal education, and one is professional education. Yeah. And then there was sort of education in terms of school, right? So yeah. um, I'm doing homework, or I'm trying to put together a lesson plan for my class. That one was the largest in the education segment. Yeah. And then personal and professional education, which is where you would classify probably most of the prompts that one might use to replace Google. You know, we're talking about sub 10% of all 
ChatGPT users. Yeah, cool. I suspect that trawling through 8,000 prompts would make for some pretty interesting bedtime reading. I think it's really good, a good perspective, kind of control what you can as a marketer. Let's not get too bogged down in the, the big shifting, you know, tectonic plates. Let's, you know, worry about our patch, which I think leans into the next area. I'd love to chat with you around um, dark social, because I think that is an area I don't think lots of us understand what's happening there. And I think if yeah. we if we do, and if we can arm marketers with a better knowledge of that, it helps to make uh, arguments within businesses and to explain actually what's happening out there for a brand. Can you kind of just talk about the concept? There's a really good piece on the SparkToro blog around it, which I'd urge everyone to, to kind of read. Can we explain it? Because I think people just don't understand that this is a reality. Sure, yeah. So the, the dry, boring version of this is all the social platforms over the last 10 years have, to some extent, either prioritized linkless native content, whatever, a post on Twitter, a post on LinkedIn, a post on Facebook, a post on Reddit that contains no link to a third-party website, right? No link to the, th to the open web. And they have also all pulled back on their logging of analytics attribution. So the ability to see that a visitor from LinkedIn came from LinkedIn is gone in about 30, 40% of all visits that LinkedIn sends out from its platform. How does that, and, like, how does that actually happen? So literally a hundred people visit my website from yep. LinkedIn. And when yep. I look into GA, it's showing. No referrer string. Yeah. Which GA will classify as direct or type in. Here's the the real story, in my opinion, which is these platforms are not dumb. They didn't do any of this by accident. Here's what happened. The leadership sat in a room and they said, hey, we noticed that a lot of people are getting a lot of value from, let's let's say we're LinkedIn. Yeah. A lot of people are getting a lot of value from LinkedIn and they're posting links to their website. We're sending hundreds of millions of visits every year off of LinkedIn. Why are we doing that? We could be keeping more of those. And if we kept more of them, marketers would learn over time that the only way to reach people on LinkedIn is to advertise with LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Also, when we do send traffic out, which should be less often, let's not let people know that we sent that traffic. That way they don't go invest more in organic LinkedIn. They invest more in paid LinkedIn because paid is the only way that will show them the real attribution. Mm -hmm. This sounds nefarious and malicious. It's not nefarious and malicious. It's capitalism. Right? It's a bunch of people sitting in a room and going, well, how do we make more money? Well, does this hurt people? Eh, just some marketers. Mm. Screw them. Give me the money. Follow, follow <laughs> right? the money. Follow the money. I mean, yeah, it, that's the story of big tech over the last 15 years, right? That progressively every platform, Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Reddit, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, every one of them starts out more marketer friendly, consumer friendly. And yeah. then over time, uh, I think Cory Doctorow has actually written an outstanding piece about this called the Inshitification of the internet. Hmm. And he basically, you know, proposes that every platform, every major platform that has success has success by being outstanding to its users. And then over time, it realizes it can trade user value for advertiser value, mm. right? How do we be awesome to the marketers and the advertisers who are going to fund our platform and make us lots of money yeah. because we have to show that to our investors so that we can go public. And then after you go public and they realize growth is slowing, they start being shitty to those advertisers and marketers as well. 
so that they can keep all the value for themselves. Mm. And shitification. The unshitification of the internet <laughs> happens in big tech. I know, shocking. What a, it's, okay. it's, you know, it's one of those things where you read the piece from Doctor and you're like, wow, that's so insightful and very well written and incredibly obvious. Mm. How do you suggest or recommend that the in-house market up who their, their reports are saying the sales are coming from Google ads and from SEO, you know, as a humble marketer where you've kind of got, you know, vested interest in the organization and stakeholders kind of, you know, we're all marketers, we know how to do it. You're not doing a good job. Like, how do you push back on this and kind of advocate for the marketing that is actually working, but it's yeah. difficult with data to prove that? Because we've kind of, um, we've been preconditioned over the last 20 years to, you know, data is everything and data doesn't lie. And I'll make all my decisions based on data and I can see you rolling your eyes and we're trying to, you know, wage war against that as well. Data can help, but a Absolutely. lot of it's a lot of it's meaningless or fake or doesn't tell the full story. So practical ways to kind of actually try to push back on it. Yeah, I, I actually I'm not arguing here entirely against being data informed. I think data driven is a little more dangerous because it removes all creativity and removes all sort of serendipitous opportunity, right? You'll never find a new channel. You'll never find a next big opportunity if you are only studying what worked in the past. I would say two things. One, it is marketer's job to tell the same story that you and I are telling today to their boss, team, clients. That That is your obligation, marketers. You have to storytell and say, hey, this is what's happening in the world. And here's why it's happening. You can understand why Google and Facebook and all these companies have an incentive to do this. Here's what some smart companies have done. They have accidentally or intentionally turned off ads for a, for a set of time, right? 60 days, a 90-day ad shut off. They didn't shut off all their ads. Maybe they tested shutting off half the ads, 30% of the ads spent. And then they tried to see, hey, did we see the same number of conversions a month later, 60 days later, 90 days later, six months later? Boy, if we did, that means we were wasting that money on advertising. That means Google was lying to us about whether that assisted conversion really assisted mm. or whether they just had enough user data to put our ad in the user's journey mm. between learned about us and bought from us. Mm. In which case, we have a lot more advertising budget to pull back on and redistribute into channels that can help more people learn about us mm. who will buy from us. Yeah, That story should not be hard to tell. It's a powerful one, right? And it's clever, it's thoughtful, it's also data informed. It's saying, hey, I'm not telling you exactly which channels aren't performing. I'm saying we should test. And the only way to test is to pull back, hmm. right? You have to shut it off and then see if you keep getting those conversions. And this is what happens time and time again. In a ton of these stories that I've seen, it is we shut off a bunch of our ads or even all of our ads and we saw that we still got 90% of the conversions, something is very wrong. Hmm. I remember, I don't, I don't know if it was one of your pieces, it might've been, but the analogy being that it's certain segments of advertising very much like putting a, handing out pamphlets or putting a billboard at the front of your retail store and kind of claiming that that was the, the thing that drove the person as they you know went into your car park to, to come in to purchase anyway. Um, so spend yeah, that. Spend yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's two analogies going on here, right? One is, some ads are presenting exactly the right kind of product to the right kind of person at the time of purchase. You could think of a, 
a Google shopping ad for a product someone's just searched for, and you have exactly that product and you have the best price and also a brand people have heard of and have yeah. a positive association with, and you have it in stock, you've got free delivery and most of your competitors don't. Should you buy that ad? Probably. Probably you should buy that ad. If you don't buy that ad, will the Google shopping users even see you? No, yeah. they probably won't. Yeah. This is also similar to I'm selling skincare products on Instagram and I have a great little short ad video and my ad video gets lots of views and gets a surprising number of clicks on Instagram. And I can see that the purchase happens after the video view and after the click in the same session. Yeah. Well, okay. That's probably driving a lot of my revenue. Those two examples are completely different to I'm selling software as a service to uh, chemical engineers at plants across North America. And it's a six month to 12 month sort of life cycle of people learning about us and our brand and our product and then and getting into our sales funnel. And, you know, my marketing qualified leads are coming through from these channels and they're turning into sales qualified leads. In those cases, you can shut off all advertising and see, hmm, we kept getting leads for a long time. In fact, we saw very little, what's going on? Oh, what's really going on is that it was our brand, our PR, our content, our organic social, our yeah. event presence, our salespeople, all those things, our email marketing, those were way outperforming advertising. But what Google and Facebook and Apple were really good at yeah. was making sure that chemical engineers who matched our customer profile saw our ads somewhere as they bounced around the web, yeah. knowing that some of those people would were going to buy from us eventually anyway, or get onto our list. And so really all they're doing is knowing lots about the behavior of internet users yeah. and injecting themselves and into the process. At, at some uh, point. The most obvious one of these, of course, and the last example I'll give is paid search for branded terms, Yeah. right? So somebody, you know, somebody searches for SparkToro they're looking but, for you, Rand. No. Yeah, I mean, obviously, right? If we buy the paid ad, they're going to have heard about us in lots of other places. And if we didn't buy the paid ad, we rank organically for it anyway. And yeah. maybe some percent of all the people who search for it are going to click on the organic listing for SparkToro. But Google's kind of like, well, you know, we can sort of play the mafia game of like, oh, it would sure be a shame if one of your competitors was to come in here up top in front of you. You know, right? But that's the, that's essentially what they're saying with buy our paid branded ad. That mafia. If you don't buy the branded search term for your brand, we're going to sell it to somebody else. Yeah. That's Liter the risk. Literally, and I mean, literally yesterday with a client and that exact principle, right? Which was organic conversions had trailed off. And we were like, yeah, but you guys fired up branded ads at exactly the same moment and they're going like this. And like, there's no, in this instance, not even any competitor bidding. It was like, guys, you're spending money to pay Paul and you're the same person anyway. Here's the only reason, the only logical reason I've heard why you should buy branded paid ads in that case. And that is if the money is largely meaningless to your bottom line and margin, right? If it's like, oh, well, we're paying 50 cents a click for those mm. and you know the average whatever purchase price is $5,000 over two years or something. And we just want to know all the variations of branded keywords that yeah. people are using, yeah. which Google refuses to provide organically, but they'll give us all of them yeah. with the paid. We had some work in the hotel space where it worked as well, where basically booking.com, Expedia, 
the OTAs were siphoning off if you're the, yeah. the, the, the direct hotel and that otherwise you literally, because they, they could sell your inventory, take their 15 to 25%. And we, we actually did the extreme test you're advocating, which was we turned it all off and bookings went down, bookings to the OTAs went up and we went back and kind of bought direct. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think in the vast bulk of instances, unless you're spending a very small amount of money to kind of control that the narrative, it's um it's a, it's a hard play. In terms of the dark social data, I just wanted to kind of share it. Percentage of visitors attributed to direct visits from these platforms. We talked like the research you did, TikTok 100%, Slack 100%, yep. Discord. So basically, if you're getting any traffic from those platforms, you're getting absolutely nothing in your GA saying they're coming from That's there. Right. Facebook and Instagram, seven, was it 75% Rand? Yeah. So it's kind of anything being shared there, which is also potentially much higher quality traffic, right? You've got things being shared, referrals, people who are so bought in. Really depends on the on the platform, right? For some people, TikTok traffic is very, you know, valuable to them if, yeah. if the demographic is a, is the right match. And for some people, it's useless. Tra- like, <laughs> funny story, SparkToro had a couple times where we like went viral on TikTok. Some creator in the marketing world did videos about us and got, you know, hundreds of thousands of views, sent a ton of traffic to SparkToro. Oh my God, the worst quality traffic you've ever seen in your life. Like, just... <laughs> honestly terrified people who clearly had no idea what we were what we were, how to use it they couldn't even figure out an email sign up they were like sending us really <laughs> terrible message everybody was signing up with like fuck you at gmail.com <laughs> it's sort of why did you bother why why even enter that email like we're you're not, not going to get the confirmation code for it right? <laughs> <laughs> i mean unless you really own that email address strong 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 email yeah yeah strong email choice um but i'm just saying right that it's different for every different provider and what that research shows is that dark social is usually somewhere between 20 to 100 percent of all the traffic that you might see from a particular network and if you are looking in your referral data to try and figure out which channels are valuable to us you're playing the game wrong Mm. Because those channels that underreport the traffic they actually send you and the channels where you don't participate, guess what? They're not going to look good. Mm. It's fascinating. I would encourage all listeners to the pod to read the article and then see how it applies, potentially applies for, for the business you're marketing. You mentioned SparkToro, Rand. I'd love to, to, to jump into that now. So was it 2018 that you started? Am I right? 2018? Yeah, yeah so that's right. Why? Why did we launch SparkToro? And then uh, what is it? Talk us through it for those marketers that aren't yet aware. Sure, sure. Uh, see, whenever someone says, why did you start SparkToro? I always have that Homer Simpson moment where his, where his brain says, don't say revenge. Don't say revenge. Reve- don't say revenge. And then Homer, of course, revenge? <laughs> that's it. I'm out of here. Uh, so, so uh, for, for folks who, who might not know the story, I um, had a contentious last few years at Moz after I stepped down from the CEO role. Uh, I think SparkToro was in, in part a personal mission that I had to prove mostly to myself, but also to a small number of people on my board of directors who maybe didn't listen to me <laughs> at my previous company, and that um, that maybe I still knew what I was talking about and could could build a successful software product for marketers. Um, And SparkToro is something I strongly believe marketers need, which is essentially to be able to understand the 
not just the channels, but the individual sources of influence across channels and, and on channels that are often ignored that reach their audiences. You know, if it turns out that if you want to sell an indie video game in North America to an audience who really loves crafting and strategy games, you need to be in front of, you know, these creators on Twitch and YouTube and TikTok and uh, Instagram. Who? Who are they? Which ones? How would you find out? Gosh, what could you do? You could survey and interview your audience. That's really tough, right? How do you find people who play games? They don't really publicly post about them. You might be able to do some Steam review data mining, and but it, it's pretty tough. How do you figure out where dentists in California are getting their dental equipment uh, sources of information, right? What, what newsletters or events or conferences or trade publications do they read and pay attention to? Are there particular Facebook groups they're part of or all of that kind of stuff? It's not, it doesn't fit under the classic definition of dark social. What it fits under is hard to identify sources of influence. Mm. I keep, I keep the word influencer out of my mouth because influencer has come to sort of mean half-naked person on a beach mm. with a six-pack who's like, here, you should buy this blender and you can have six-pack abs in a beach like me. Yeah. That's not what I mean. What, what I really mean is all the niche sources of influence that could potentially yeah. influence a person and a group of people. And that's what SparkToro is, is designed to help people do. It's been nice. We did not launch until 2020. So this is our third year of operation as a, an actual product. Yeah. But yeah, it's helped tens of thousands of marketers already. That's, that's pretty exciting. That's brilliant. The whole influence, like the, the influence of being a dirty word, it yeah. just, it just shouldn't be. And I think us as marketers need to challenge, kind of rise up against that because it is <laughs> like digital marketing is becoming old school marketing. Right. And I think a tool like yours helps businesses, particularly those that might not have huge research budgets. That yeah, some, yeah, that some, of the, some of the, you know, if you're in a big, big corporate, you can kind of go off and find, you know, information. You can pay to have big bodies of research done to help find, you know, the dental this or the gaming influencer in a certain market. Yeah. So hard if you're like the vast majority of marketers <laughs> that are operating in a business. Well, I think, um, you know, what's so funny. I was thinking about this the other day with, um, do you remember the television show Mad Men? No, it was yeah, on you know, maybe absolutely. 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So classic, right? John Hamm plays you know, this director of a, an advertising firm in the 1950s and then into the 60s uh, in the United States in New York. And, you know, the clothing's great, the script writing's great, the dialogue's great. It's more than a little misogynistic, which probably the advertising world certainly was too. Yeah. But the interesting part that I was thinking about is there's a scene where it shows a client, you know, potential client for the ad agency coming into the firm. You know, they're all wearing suits and whatever. And one of the guys who works at... Sterling Draper, you know, yeah, the, the yeah, fictional yeah, yeah. name of the company that's supposed to represent one of the big New York ad agencies, yeah. pulls a binder uh, off the shelf. And the, the binder is filled with information about where you can go to reach certain demographics. Mm. And so I think the uh, the advertiser in this case, the client is a car company, and they talk about the car that they're making and who they want to reach with it. You know, they look and they say, okay, well, according to the research, you know, we, we need to be on this channel. We need to be on this time slot. We want to be on this these three shows. We want to be in these two magazines. I think they mentioned like Time Magazine and NBC, you know, in the major cities. That research came from giant large-scale survey data, mm. right? These big survey 
firms would ask a million Americans like, hey, where do you, you know, what do you watch and read and listen to? Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. So if you wanted to reach a dentist, you'd go into an ad agency, they'd grab the binder and they'd tell you, okay, great. You're going to be advertising in these three papers. Mm. There's no binder, right? In the internet era, all that data is right on the web. Yeah, We could find it right? We have, we have things like clickstream data sources and social following graphs, APIs and search results. We could, we could call all that data together, amalgamate it, and then build a binder. And that's essentially what SparkToro is. Yeah. It's sort of the ad agency binder for the 21st century. There's a, um, there's a blog article, surely, on the SparkToro website for that. You know, you, you Donald Draper, there's, there's, there's something in there, Randall. Um, yeah. Just much, much less drinking, uh, no, no terrible behavior towards women. And, um, but yeah. you know the comparison between the two. Um, yeah, where do you think it plays really strong? The, the actual software, like who's it an absolute no-brainer for? Uh, absolute no-brainer if your brand or company sells to a certain set of professionals, right? So like B two B use cases or even B two C that targets an interest group that describes themselves publicly online. For example, um, tabletop role-playing game enthusiasts. They all, all of these people are not shy about putting, you know, the TTRPG hashtag in their whatever, Mastodon and Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram profiles. And so it's very easy to identify them. Dentists, orthodontists, interior designers, chemical engineers, podcasters, right? Any mm. Anything where they publicly describe who they are and that's your perfect audience, SparkToro mm. is aces. It right. gets much more challenging and much, um, we often don't do a great job when your target is, well, pretty much everyone, mm. right? If you're selling car insurance or homes, right? Oh, I'm trying to sell real estate in Brisbane. Yeah. Well, everyone's kind of a home buyer potentially. I mean, obviously there's demographics around it, age groups and income yeah. groups, but SparkToro, that that data is not publicly available on the web. And we don't try and whatever, you know, what Facebook does, right? Where they buy data from banks yeah. to get that sort of um, private data and then apply that to profiles so that you can do targeting that way. We don't do that. Mm. And, and we never will. We, we think that's unethical, even though it's not technically illegal in every country. Yeah. But anything that's publicly available data that's on public profiles, we anonymize and aggregate. Yeah. And that's why it works so well for B2B. And it's so, and like, that's always the challenge with B2B, right? Like obviously LinkedIn can give you some certain targeting, which, which helps, but it's really challenging to, in those more niche areas to actually Well, remember, up. so a few yeah. years ago, remember James, uh, when Facebook audience insights existed? Yeah. Like 2010 to 2016, and then and then right, Donald Trump gets elected, and it's the Cambridge Analytica scandal, yeah. and so Facebook like pulls all audience insights out of your organic Facebook pages. Yeah. But in Facebook audience insights on your page, it used to tell you, like, oh, people who follow your page also have are interested in these brands, these companies, these pages, these public mm. groups. Mm. That was awesome. Twitter used to do the same thing in Twitter analytics. They pulled back on it, right? So all these companies have all this data. They're using it to show your ads and sort of, you know, get you as an advertiser, but it's your data. 
You built that audience. You're the reason people are coming to your Facebook page, your Twitter account, your LinkedIn account, your uh, page, you know, whatever, your subreddit. And they're hiding it from you so that you'll buy ads from them. Mm. And I think that sucks. Mm. I, I think you should get that data. And this is one of the reasons that SparkToro is also very, you know, a very inexpensive product is because we want to help a lot of like small and medium-sized marketers. We're not, we, we don't have any like enterprise support <laughs> for like, I feel a little bad. There's a, there's a very large, one of the big five ad agencies uh, in the world has been trying to get a SparkToro subscription, but they, you know, they need you to like jump through a bunch of hoops and provide them with whatever support and all these guarantees and security compliance checks. And I keep writing to them and being like, we're not going to do it. You, you've, <laughs> you've designed this business to allow you to live the life you want to cook the nice meals. Yeah, you want exactly. To cook like we're, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Sorry, man. <laughs> you know, Omnicom or whoever, just like go, you go away. You can buy this data from other people. You can build it yourself. Right? What, um, this, <laughs> it's a free trial. Me. So anyone out there, Sign up, free trial. Uh, no, 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 there's not. no free trial. We'll do you one better though. We have a forever free version. So you never need to pay. Okay, that's... You don't yeah. have to put in a credit card. You can just have a free account that you use. Uh, I think we have more than 100,000 marketers who use the free account uh, every month, just completely free. Yeah. So go play around, do your research. And if you're using it and you're like, gosh, I, I actually really want more from this. Like I want to see more rows of data, more kinds of data. Great. Then you can sign up, and it's it starts at fifty bucks a month. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and where where's the product going? What's the um, where do you see it kind of heading in the next few years? We're we're about to come out with a V two of the product. I don't know if it'll be out by the time this pod launches, um, but the V two will be a little bit of a different interface. And on the back end, it is using uh, some new kinds of data sources, including the same clickstream data set from Datos that we used for the Chat GPT analysis. Mm -hmm. So if you're kind of like, wow, how did they get all that data about, mm. you know, what people visited and, you know, how much traffic it got and where they went after and before, that's how we can get that data from Datos. I have been a huge fan of uh, Eli Goodman's who, who runs Datos for a long time. He and I worked together at Jumpshot back when I did those uh, Google zero click studies yep. uh, at the end of my Moz tenure and then into the start of my SparkToro one. Yeah. So that, that is underpinning. And then we have a large amount of public profiles from LinkedIn, which is great. Um, and we use, we sort of marry those two together with a third data source and that is search data. So for the first time, SparkToro, many people have been asking us like, hey, I, you know, it's great to see like which sources of influence, which websites, which social accounts are popular with my audience. I also want to see which keywords are popular with my audience. What are people mm. searching for? Mm. And so now we'll be able to offer uh, audience data around keywords as well. So th that's where it's going. And then I think, to be honest, I, Casey and I don't love to predict out. We really like being responsive. So I think we're going to launch this, see what people love, what they don't love, what they use, what they don't use, and then double down on the things that people are asking for and want. So I love yeah. it. Sounds like Rand's revenge tour is uh, he's in full flight. <laughs> it's funny that, you know, I, I say revenge, but the interesting thing is the longer the time frame is that you move away from some painful incident, yeah. the less sharp those edges feel. Yeah. Right. That's good. And, you know, Moz has sort of faded to me into a, well, that was, that was sort of a lovely learning experience. And I made a lot of friends and, yeah. you know, I got to have wonderful connections to people like yourself and a lot of yeah. marketers know who I am because of that experience. So yeah. I don't know, maybe, I, you know, I don't have to carry a grudge about it. It's, 
it's okay. It's in the past. I was young. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I'll, I'll make fewer of those mistakes going forward. I think, you know, Lost and Founder, the book I wrote is kind of a nice literal bookend, right? To that yeah. journey and, and tries to tell me and other people, hopefully, uh, what not to do in the future. You've definitely added to the industry, right? And helped a lot of people make uh, make sense of things that potentially very, very complex and it's hard to make the complex simple, which you do. Which is which is probably a better legacy than, oh, my company was worth a billion dollars, right? Yeah. Be nice to have like, both though. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the worst strategy. I mean, here's the thing though, James. I, I'm not sure if you, like maybe you're personally connected to a lot of, you know, very high net worth individuals. We, Geraldine and I have come to know a good handful of, people in our lives who have lots of money or, or way too much money. Um, I don't think they're actually happier or better off. Like I think diminishing returns start somewhere in the low few millions of dollars hmm. and then they continue, you know, and, and once you get to 10, 20, the drop-off is extreme. Right. And I think unfortunately a lot of very wealthy people struggle to search for meaning, yep. think that they're supposed to use their money to by themselves happiness and also to immunize themselves against criticism. Yeah. And it becomes really tough because a lot of the global narrative is about how rich people are destroying the world. And that mm. is a true narrative, but I think it creates this um, psychology in, in a ton of those folks. So I, I wish Moz had made us some more money. Sure. But I, I think a billion dollars is the wrong amount. Mm. That's good. I think it's good for you to have that perspective. And yeah, for sure. I think the, um, Definitely observing people that I know that have a lot of money, it, it, it doesn't bring happiness. I think, you know, happiness is human connection and yeah. you know, a safe place to live and good food on the table shared with good people. And that's kind of, um, you know, and then, then the, the time and, and the resources to do the things you like, right? Whatever yeah, that, which, wh which whatever more that money be. gets you to a point. Yeah. So. But yeah, that's right. I absolutely. Absolutely agree. James, I'm hoping to write a sequel to Lost and Founder probably the next 18 months, maybe, maybe publishing in, in a couple of years and spend a whole chapter on mm. the money stuff that nobody talks about. Cause you know, Moz did sell, right. It sold to, I think it sold in 2021. That was a very strange life-changing amount of money for us, but also awkward, scary, sad in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah. Really interesting. And I think that, and the thing is, most Australians would say that Americans talk much more openly about money than we do, which, which I, I think that's true. Yeah. So I think yeah, that'd be, um, that's true. Americans don't, in my opinion, Americans don't talk about it nearly enough, especially higher earners, because I think many folks are ashamed, right? Yeah. They, they feel like, and maybe some shame should accompany, you know, when a vast majority of your country is living in terrible conditions and there's no social safety net, yep. you should probably feel ashamed that you managed to, you know, be one of the few at the top. Yep. Um, but also if you don't have those conversations, it's pretty tough to change things. Yeah. This is not where I thought our, our podcast would go around. I love it though. It's great. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. The, um, My the, pleasure. Yeah. The, the uh, kind of segues into the, the, the final, the final part of the pod career advice for in-house marketers and young marketers out there. So I normally finish the poll with what what's the one piece of career advice, but if you could just yeah. for a couple of minutes, just talk about what advice would you give to that marketer out there that is kind of starting out, is in their first role, their first couple of roles, like what's going to make for, for career success based on what you've seen? Specialization. 
I think, I think specialization is one of the keys to building a, not just a successful career, but a career where you are known for something and therefore recruited for that thing. And it's the demand that's in these small niches, like, and, and when I say specialization, I don't mean specialize in Google advertising. Yeah. No. But if you specialize in Google advertising for boutique hotels, yes, that's the kind of specialist level that I'm talking about. And then when people say, gosh, you know, I really need someone who's an expert at this, you'll be the person on everyone's lips. You'll be the, the name that is associated with that. The other piece of advice is you have to do marketing for yourself. I, I know that lots of people don't love personal branding and they don't love personal content creation. And I'm not telling you, you have to do a lot, yeah. but if you want to be successful in the marketing world, you need to be known by other people who might help your career, yeah. recruit you, uh, suggest you to people who are looking, recommend your work to potential clients or, or your next employer, even just connect you with people who you get along with. My suggestion is you have two ways of doing that. One is content on the internet, social media content, a blog, video series, a podcast, right? All those kinds of things to where you, where you share your knowledge, you publish what you know and what you've learned and you help people in those ways. And the second is personal communication. You can maybe do it through email, one-to-one -one emails or an email marketing list, which, which I really term in the first bucket of, of sort of content creation for the mm. web uh, or in-person. Mm. And in-person is weird because events in the digital marketing space have been shrinking dramatically, even as the they field have. has grown. Yeah, it's weird. You know, 10 years ago, there was probably 200 events uh, worldwide for digital marketers that had more than 500 attendees. Mm. Now, I don't think I could name 12. Mm. So it is it has shrunk dramatically and that sucks. It's a problem, but going to those events, you will find people who are excited to meet you, who want to, you know, network and, and in a, in a kind and friendly sense, and also learn from you. If you get on stage uh, or pitch content and get in front of organizers, even at local stuff, that can make a difference mm -hmm. too. So those are those are the two ways that you sort of get your knowledge out there. Just like anything else, right? You're a marketer. So you know that no great product just is made, launched, and then people just find it. Yep. That's not how anything works. Nothing works that way. Same thing with you and your career. You've got to let people who might help you, who might want what you do, know what you can do that's unique. And the way to be to, to get that uh, uniqueness is to specialize. Love it. It's great advice. Thanks for being so generous with your time today, Rand. Really, really appreciate it. I recommend all the listeners, sparktoro.com. It's, it's not a free trial. It's free forever. But even putting that to the side, sign up to Rand's content. It's, yeah, as I said, to kick off the pod, like I, when something hits my inbox from you, Rand, I love it. it it's thought provoking. It makes me think. It makes me question what we're doing for our clients. Um, I'm glad the whiteboard is back. It's it's behind him for those that are listening and can't see him. Um, and I'm glad it's back and he's, he's tapping it. It's real. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a Zoom background. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for being on the pod, Rand. My pleasure, James. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. 
And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.